Instructional Designers and in Offices Drinking Coffee is brought to you by Domino, makers of Domino One, the cloud-based authoring tool for e-learning. Learn how your team can work together better at domino.com. That's D-O-M-I-N-K-N-O-W.com. Now, here's this week's episode. Wednesday morning. We love a good Wednesday morning idiotic. What's that song? Wednesday morning, you sure look fine. Friday, I got traveling on my mind. <laughs> I don't know that song. I do believe it's a... Um... Oh, Stevie Nicks and Company. And, and that's not the exact ah. word. I was paraphrasing. <laughs> got a pair of phrases hey how's the weather in the chat everybody welcome yeah well it's uh sunny but brisk in philly nice uh, go, go eagles i think that's what you folks say this time Ooh, uh, i thought it was always sunny in philadelphia that's true <laughs> no kidding common a common assumption that we all make based on you know the media consumption it's so they say no <laughs> kidding uh, yeah. Hey, well, welcome to Idiotic, everybody. It's Wednesday morning, and we're enjoying a hot cup of coffee, talking about instructional design stuff. And hey, look at that. Our guest actually has a mug today. Chris, who is this guy? Folks, that's Mark Shepard. Mark's been with us before, but Mark, there are probably some folks in our in our session here today who haven't met you yet. So tell the folks a little bit about yourself. To say if they haven't met me, aren't they lucky? Aren't they lucky? <laughs> Oh, come was, on now. That, that was my attempt to make the coffee come out of Chris's nose while we're, <laughs> while we're live. Um, yes, good morning, all. Uh, I'm Mark Shepard. I'm joining you from the uh, somewhat overcast skies of uh, Whitby, Ontario, which is just east of Toronto, for those of you who, uh, who don't know the area. Uh, I'm a longtime uh, L&D practitioner and uh, speaker and uh, thorn in the side of French Lanker for many years. <laughs> and uh, I uh, am working as an independent uh, uh, learning and development consultant. I own a company called Two Sphinx Innovations. And uh, this is, uh, I think this is my third visit to Idiotic. Mm -hmm. And uh, always a pleasure to be here. Yeah. And we're very glad to have you back. Um, we're, we're talking today about multiple languages, translation, best practices, those sorts of things. And um, Mark and I both being Canadians, um, there is always a, a constant sort of awareness for certainly for Canadian based projects that, uh, that this, this isn't this is a nation with two official languages, Canadian and French. So it's something that is often a part of uh, you know any projects that we work on um, certainly for the locals <laughs> in our in our you know in, in our, within our own uh, within our own national boundary etc but um, we also live in this big amazing global world where um, you know things have to move from one place to another and still be helpful and, and useful etc um, mark maybe just tell us a little bit about um, you know why this topic's top of mind for you currently well um... I have actually just wrapped up a contract with the federal government um, here for their centralized uh, their centralized help desk uh, agency, and uh, because uh, official languages are mandated by law for federal government implementations, it has to become something that you 
are just doing as a matter of course. Um, and the same thing on the work that I did for the Royal Canadian Air Force a few years back, um, while the majority of the work is done in English, and as a matter of fact, the language of aviation is English, um, there's still a requirement to ensure that the folks who are primarily uh, French speakers, francophones, uh, are able to get the benefit of their learning uh, in their mother language, uh, since it's one of the official ones. And I've also had the opportunity a, a number of years ago to work on projects where we had to ensure that translation into other languages was a, was a big consideration. And uh, the, the reason why it's, uh, it's something that is top of mind uh, for me is that when it boils down to it, this is a design problem. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people address it that way right off the bat, right? I mean, I think... I think a lot of times it's looked at as a technical issue, like, oh, I'm just an instructional designer. And if I design, you know, really good instruction, then I hand it off to a developer or a development team and, and they just make a bunch of versions of it in a bunch of different languages. And I don't really have to think about it. And I think what we've learned over the years is that there eh, may be a little bit more to it than just that. I, I'd say that's I'd say that's very true. Um, and uh, initially, when I approached the concept of uh, doing work in other languages, it was translation as a late stage task in the project. And uh, I've since reframed how I look at it as something that does need to be that does need to be baked in. And we're kind of spoiled in a lot of respects because we have technology tools that can do translation. And uh, there's lots of ads that you'll see on TV that says, hey, I'm going to speak into my phone in English because I'm in Kyoto and I need to ask somebody something in Japanese and I'm going to get an output in Japanese uh, or going to one of the many search engine uh, translation functions that are out there. You can go and you can enter some text and, and, get, a, um, and get a simple phrase. Would I do that with a dissertation or a treatise or anything more than a short paragraph? Probably not. Or 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 something you know around safety, for instance. Ooh, <laughs> precision counts, right? <laughs> and 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 that was exactly the issue that we experienced uh, with the Air Force because um, uh, with because I was teaching at the maintenance school. Uh, Flight safety is, strangely enough, a very critical component of their uh, of their training, and uh, and also there's a lot of terminology that has only been developed in English, and so the translation challenge becomes ensuring that the meaning of that doesn't get doesn't get lost because loan words from one language to another can only get you so far. Yeah. Um... I'm thinking a little bit about uh, as you were talking about, you know, speaking into your phone, etc. Um, the the babblefish in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that uh, people would yes. put into their ear, right? Ah. You know, um, so yeah, I think we uh, I think we've got that coming up soon, don't we? I mean, we, the technology is pretty darn close these days, and uh, um, you know, um, I also want to point out too, uh, since we're talking about government contracts and everything. You are a veteran, aren't you, as well, Mark? Yes, I are. you, you, I you am. did not mention that in your bio, and I just think it's definitely worth raising a glass to and yeah. saying thank you for your service, Mark. Thank you much. Um, I would also acknowledge there's another veteran in the room, 
uh, and somebody who I've uh, who I've met in my professional travels, uh, one Jason Barr, who actually just raised uh, a really good question in the chat. Uh, and I don't know if you guys want to jump to that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Jason asks about uh, about contracting as translation part of the requirement, um, or is that the responsibility of the organization who contracts me? Uh, and, and that's a great question. And honestly, I have only ever seen that um, as an organizational responsibility. And by that, I mean the and and by that, I mean the end client. So I was working through a, a large vendor on my Air Force contract. And uh, so the end user there, of course, was the Air Force. It was the Air Force's responsibility to actively be engaged and provide the processes for translation and working into other languages. It was not the responsibility of the vendor who contracted who contracted me. Uh, there were expectations set that when I am building solutions, they need to follow the appropriate processes and procedures and policies, which includes official languages. So that was baked into the that was baked into the operational environment. The whole yeah. thing that, that helps. Uh, and and, and in, in the particular circumstances that you're describing there, um, I mean, that's a very specialized world, too. So yes. uh, uh, even someone who is fluently bilingual um, probably doesn't, you know, coming in unless they have experience in that specific, you know, Air Force space or, or what have you, um, would not be necessarily uh, equipped to do a translation, you know, with the, with the context and the, you know, the, 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 the jargon, the lingo. And cultural context, all of those sorts of things too. So that That's I could totally see true. why that would that would therefore be very sensible to be yeah. still the, the the end client organization responsible for those for those words. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Um, so you know, when you're starting out a project and you know, as you were describing, you know, and we were talking earlier, but it's it's often the thing that happens. Oh, okay, now we've got the one done. Let's send it to translation and and get stuff back. But shifting. So to that being, you know, more of um, a, a from the start, you know, part of the, the, the process, it kind of reminds me a little bit about like, you know, how we've often ended up treating accessibility, right? You, you make the thing and then you go back and you know, as opposed to thinking about it from the start as a, as a critical part of, of, the, of the design and the, and the planning process. So what kind of things did that change that shifting to the to the beginning? What kind of things then? Have changed for you, like say in the in the you know I don't know the planning, the storyboarding, the initial you know kind of phases of a project. How does that affect what you do there? Um, that's that's a great question to to consider. And for me, it really emphasized the importance of actually doing a good, strong analysis, um, mm -hmm. particularly your audience analysis. And it is uh, it's a very ableist point of view talking about accessibility to say, oh, well, we're just going to do the accessibility stuff later um, and say, well, yeah, we're just going to do it. We're going to try to make it accessible. And it becomes the one size fits nobody solution. Mm -hmm. uh, so we see in some cases organizations, if they skip anything in their instructional design processes, it is most often the analysis because there is an assumption that, well, we know our audience, you know, we think we know what the gap is. And so go ahead and do it. And, and I'm expecting, you know, a good fully interactive package in about two weeks. You good with that? Okay, off you go. And, and that's more that's more true for a lot of people. I'm sure there's people in the audience who said, oh, yes, I live this. This is this is my this is my work life. 
So spending time in the analysis is not just because you want to make sure you've got a good picture of the gap. You really need to have a good sense of the people who are going to be involved in that process. And all of those considerations have to then become part of your design. Um, and uh, looking at doing translation afterwards, after you've said, great, I've thought about this in English, I've designed it in English, now I'm going to translate it. Let's say um, you're doing work uh, overseas and you have to translate it to Tagalog, one of the many languages that are spoken in the Philippines. If you don't have a sense of Tagalog culture, how they approach learning, what that really means, um, you have, you, you're going to wind up something that may be word correct in some cases, but the nuances are gone. And it takes a very Western-centric point of view for the design. And that shoots all the research of internationalization and multi-language participants like right out the window. I mean, at that point, you might as well not bother. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other things that brought this home to me was a project that I did for one of our indigenous uh, governments here in Canada. Um, uh, Canada has uh, three recognized Indigenous uh, peoples. We have the uh, First Nations, we have the Inuit, and we also have the Métis, uh, who are descendants of the uh, of European fur traders and explorers and First Nations and, and Inuit people. And when I was designing a cultural awareness workshop for them, I realized I had better spend some time learning about Indigenous education and how that will factor into the design because I could just go and do your typical, um, yeah. you know, your typical um, chalk and talk, sage from the stage and building some activities. But if I don't have a sense of, of how the Métis people traditionally want to embrace education, the value of oral tradition and music and food and all of those things that go into it, I'm not going to reach that audience. Yeah, mm -hmm. a, a buddy asked a great question that kind of flows right along with this. He says, how much of the translation service takes into account cultural context? For example, if you have a scenario with English speakers shown on the screen, do you also change the character models or do you take into account cultural norms or even faux pas when translating? I think we covered that, but, um, you know, a little bit, but if there's, you know, more to yeah. it. That's a, and, and buddy, that's a, that, that's a fantastic question. Um, there are, uh, one of the things that they teach in, um, in MBA programs and business schools, um, are some of the cultural norms in how business is conducted in, in different parts of the world. And you would be amazed. I've actually seen, and I couldn't lay my hands on it this morning, but I've actually seen somebody who's drawn out almost flowcharts of how business gets conducted and you start seeing the social aspects of it. You see how the negotiations take place and who gives and who takes and how that all works. Um, and for somebody who's never experienced that before, yeah. it comes as a massive awakening. And, and uh, with respect to the translation, I think this is where technology, again, spoils us because you can put something into a translator but it's only as good as what has been programmed. Yeah. It's very difficult to replace a native speaker or more importantly, 
somebody who is in that culture. I wouldn't, for example, I mean, my French is terrible, um, <laughs> thanks to the Ontario school system. But if I had learned Arabic, for example, even if I could fluently speak Arabic, I would not consider for a heartbeat relying on my own translation. I would want somebody else who grew mm-hmm. up with the language to be able to vet what I'm saying. Yeah, Buddy has a follow-up question, and this is exactly what I was thinking. And I, I uh, he says, and, and to follow up with all the considerations that you have mentioned that need to be made, do you feel like you actually have to create a new course rather than just translate the version, you know, if you do all of that? And I, I, I there's this fine line that we walk, right? Is and you know we can, um, we can kind of sterilize everything down to make it so incredibly generic that it's just not even engaging anymore, you know, across cultures. Or do we put in the money and create completely different courses with completely different scenarios with completely different characters for different countries, different cultures? And then therefore the languages go along with that. I mean, there's there's so many different solutions, I I think. But Agreed. I guess at the end of the day, it just all boils down to what's the need and and you know, what is anybody willing to pay? Well, okay, I'll I'll throw this I'll throw this back uh, to you, Brent, that if you have, let's say you have a large change management initiative uh, in an organization. And, um, and, and we'll say for the sake of argument that it's only going to be done in English. How different is a translation effort than ensuring that you are designing for different audiences within that change management activity? Right? The, the materials that I'm going to be providing for somebody who is, um, you know, for a, a mid-level knowledge worker, uh, is going to be very different than what somebody say in the C-suite is going to require with respect to yeah. uh, with respect to change management or somebody who is a uh, somebody who's in middle management and what they need to to know and do not just with the change but also how to foster that change and how to make that work. It's different audiences, but holistically, it's all part of the same thing. They all have to tie together. Um, yeah. So we, we we cannot make the assumption that you're just designing one thing. Right? Translation does become uh, another part of this holistic uh, this holistic effort. Even if it's just confined, even if you've just confined it to a single audience, let's say you have um, call center people operating in two different languages in two different locations, there are two solutions, there are two outputs. Mm-hmm but they're all trying to achieve the same end. Yeah. And even if you're sticking within the same language, um, there are complications due to, you know, cultural differences and, and et cetera. One of my earliest projects was a course on um, cleaning in hospital settings. Um, you, you know, uh, you know, keeping everything uh, safe and, and in that regard. Um, and the, the group that we were working with was actually UK based. But we went to a facility here in Ontario to take a whole 
pile of, of photos, you know, to support the, the project and got a feedback. Um, there was one, one of the things was, was about uh, just cleaning walls, you know, on a, a, let's say a six month interval or something, everything's got to be wiped down, it, it, cleaning windows. And the, the feedback from the review was, um, yeah, so we don't have screens in the windows here in, in the UK. I'm like, oh, well, now I got to find a window that doesn't have a screen in it to keep the mosquitoes out that we have over here. So, so in a sense, you know, um, but but they said, look, our audience is going to recognize that this is a North American image, yes. and that's going to decrease their trust, right? Oh, it's this is the this is. Are we sure this is even a, a you know the the British you know the UK regulations that were so. So we did have to we did have to sort that out, and it's just um, I mean the words were still the same in the page. Thankfully, as Canadians writing, we had all of our U's in the proper places in the words, uh, color and favor, etc. We didn't have to, to to worry about that. But you know, here was this one you know sort of image that just was not going to jive, and uh, that's um, true. And so. and the the last thing you want to do is to give the end consumer um, something to something to worry about mm -hmm. um, or, or something that says, uh, maybe this isn't quite relevant to me. And uh, to that end, and Stephanie, you've got a great question there and I'm, I'm gonna come back to that in just a second. Uh, but I cannot emphasize enough the importance of pilot testing and having a beta audience with, with this. Um, no yeah. matter how good your translation is, you want to ensure that you get that last polish on it from the end users and make sure there's no there's no language hang-ups um, there are no um, semantic hang-ups um, and and it doesn't matter what your output is i mean you could be doing something that is strictly uh that is strictly self-paced you could be going with very low-tech outputs um but still you need, you need to ensure that that's that that's vetted properly mm -hmm. Um, so, Stephanie, yeah. uh, you're right. It's absolutely uh, a monumental challenge to do this for multiple uh, for multiple countries and languages. Um, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had to do this in more than two languages at one time. Um, but I would imagine I would probably wind up tackling it the same the same way that I ensure that the localization efforts happen in each. So you're talking about. Um, being a center of excellence designing for the globe. So each one of those locations that you're addressing has to become uh, an integral stakeholder with your project. And your project manager has absolutely positively has to factor that into the plan. Because yeah. it, it, time is inescapable. It is going to take you longer to, to do it. Um, so you can potentially throw more people at the problem, uh, or you can accept that if you want to do this correctly, you're going to need yeah there's also uh, i mean we're using the word translation but there's also um it's it, you know the related word localization so you, you know sometimes there are projects where you are trying to just literally take the exact same thing and create it into another you know language um, but then there is the, the localization aspect as well which gets us into some of those other alterations that do need to be made either you know because of cultural customs or even regular regulations um yeah. Uh, you know, in the pharmacy world, um, the same, you know, medicine may not be, you know, allowed to be used for the same, prescribed for the same purposes, might not have regulatory approval in different geographies. So, you know, you've got to 
you know, there's that, that, you know, that's something that I say comes into play in, in you know, for folks in, in that world, for example, it's not just that here yeah. is the information about this. Oh, in this nation, or, uh, you know, we we're on, this is what we're allowed to, to promote it for, or, or what is allowed to be prescribed for, et cetera. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, Brent's heard me say this for years and he's going to hit me when I say this again, but if, if we, we always talk about activity being the building block for instructional design. But this is one of those times where your supporting content um, takes on an incredible role. But it's not just the content. I think the other piece that bites people is your delivery modality. And if you are relying on technology for delivery, then you also have those localization challenges. <clears throat> and uh, sometimes this this bites people. We we encountered this uh, when I was most recently on contract for the federal government, um, that every once in a while, the learning management system, even though virtually all of the cues and prompts and buttons and features, we'd managed to get the, the, the mapping done correctly, but every once in a while, some English language stuff would, would pop up. And in Canada, because it's enshrined in law, people can and do raise official language complaints that this has not been fully presented to them in one of the two official languages. Yeah, it's a, it's a struggle. I, I can remember a long time ago when I worked for Intel, they had just had a rule that just said everybody speaks English. It was one of my first jobs right out of graduate <laughs> school. And um, I asked about translations to because we were doing a big implementation around the globe in other countries. And uh, they said, oh, don't worry about it. And everybody that works at an Intel facility has to take an English test and they have to speak English. And I was like, oh, great. Well, then we fly over to Malaysia and we're, you know, standing up delivering this training. And it's, you know, five minutes into the presentation, it's incredibly obvious that everybody <laughs> sitting in the room has not a clue what in the heck I'm saying, <laughs> you know? And then when you go out to dinner with everybody afterwards, later you find out that, oh yeah, they all, they, everybody <laughs> that's gonna work in the warehouse or whatever, they all teach them how to pass the English test ahead of time in order to get the job. So nobody really knows how to speak English, but they all know enough to just pass the test. <laughs> Yeah, great, great example of the law of unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, I think, I believe they have scrapped that now, and they work yeah. very hard to be um, localized and um, culturally relevant. Mm -hmm. So, Folks. one of the other things that uh, we have to consider. So, once you've established the, the design parameters, you do have to think about your output, and. For the sake of argument, let's let's say, for example, you are going to be building some some self-paced e-learning. Um, one thing that I learned very quickly with respect to French is the space that it takes up, and uh, some folks may That's not great point. may not know this. And this is where I was very glad for my college education in graphic design long before I got into to this field uh, was that. French on average, and this is unscientific, it's purely anecdotal, but it holds up. French language translations take up approximately 30% more 
physical space or virtual space on a screen than the same body of text does in English. Mm -hmm. And you find out very quickly if you've got a nice tight design and let's say you've got some supporting text on the screen and then it's been translated to French and it runs off the bottom. <laughs> I'd say German falls under that category too. Yeah. That's yes. entirely possible. Yeah. And, well, and actually think about it. So um, the German language has a lot of very long compound words. You can find yeah. yourself in hyphenation hell. <laughs> with, 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 putting, uh, with putting some of those words in if you haven't allowed for, um, you know, for proper spacing. And yeah. so this is where um, I, you know, I encourage people, I come back and I say, think about activity, not content. Do you need people to be reading stuff on screen or do you want them involved in making decisions, seeing the results of those decisions? And that's where the cultural grasp of translation in multiple languages becomes critical becomes yeah very critical and yeah. and let's let's throw in some other wrinkles um we of course are used to having to read from left to right but what happens oh. to your design if you are in mm -hmm. a language that goes right to left what yeah. happens if you're designing for languages that are often presented in a more vertical format when being when being read. Um, yes. I've, I've, I've seen this in, uh, you will see pictures of some Japanese language documentation where it seems to flow from top to bottom. And now I'm, I'm not a Japanese, I'm not an expert Japanese speaker, but um, it looks very different than how we tend to lay things out left to right and then it flows that and then it flows that yeah. way. So all, well, all even, of a sudden it's, it's radically different. Even in the, in, in the case of something moving into a, a, a right to left language, we would say, you know, it, telling people which order to maybe to select something um, and, and our assumption is that that's going to be mm. left to right. So we might even craft, a, um, you know, instructions about that, but that um, and, and so, you know, the second version, the second language version of the content might still have that order baked into, you know, the functionality of a page. But yes, there's a case, there's a case where we probably have to, you know, not only just simply change the words, but we the, the actual, you know, functionality, you know, in some cases, I, what we're doing to align yeah. with how people are going to in, instinctively, you know, interact with something. Yes. What about a numbered, a numbered list, for example, do the numbers shift over to the right side first? Like that would that is that a I've I've never had to deal with this before myself, so that's why I'm asking. And it just dawned on me, like if you've got a you know, do the bullets move over if you've got a bulleted list or if you've got a numbered list, do the numbers do you have to switch the numbers over? That's a good, that's a good question. And and Elizabeth, uh yeah, because I just saw Elizabeth was working on something oh, uh, in Farsi and she said yes, the numbers and bullets move okay. over. This is why I love this. We got people from all over the world that can help answer these questions that we do not know. This is, which brings up another point too, by the way, to be more inclusive. One of these days, I need to find somebody to have as a guest on the show where English is their second language. I wonder what it's like for those people who are forced to translate their e-learning and their learning content from their native language into English. Yes. <laughs> And, and and we are so used to 
our our idioms and jargon and things like that yeah. that may get completely lost into yes. in, in, into another language. Um, yeah. And that must be that must be incredibly challenging for somebody who who has learned English as a as a second language. Yeah, Bob's your uncle doesn't necessarily carry over into any you know many other you know, like, like just even little phrases like that that we might we use as shorthand you right. know to somebody, express things. Somebody yeah, might sure. say, "Well, how did you know?" You know, um, <laughs> yeah. As a, as opposed to as opposed to just acknowledging, yeah, okay, yeah, we're good. And how does and how does all y'all translate into any other language, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, who who knows really? But yeah, so um, you know, with uh, we've got about ten minutes left or so. It, are there, um, let's see if we can kind of simplify some of this a little bit for folks. Are there any sort of rules of thumb that we could, if we were to think about all this stuff, like they're the big ones that people should take away from today, and um, and at the very least cover a few things, right? Yeah, yeah, um, and I, I think that step one, if you do nothing else, ensure that this is factored in right from the outset. Um, if, if you always have this at, at top of mind for you and for your stakeholders, um, and that includes, you know, as I said, the project manager um, and executive sponsors, they need to be aware of all of that. Um, it's got to be part of the design. So a really good audience analysis is there. You need to start asking, you need to start asking other questions. Um, where possible, uh, also ensure that somebody who speaks that language natively, they may not be your, your translator, but somebody who speaks that language natively is also um, is also part of the project. Um, so that gets that gets us away from the uh, from the start in English, flip it over to another language, and hope for the best mindset that 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 some folks tend to uh, some folks tend to adopt. And and don't rely on technology to handle this problem for you. Yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway I would say for folks. If if nothing else, just try to remember that they, uh, you know, that this is a design issue. I think that was your that was your point right out the gate, right? This is more of a design issue, and more of a context issue than it actually is a technology problem. Because I think mm -hmm. 20 years ago, it was probably more of a technology problem because it took a lot of time to yes. translate text by hand and all that kind of stuff. But today, the tech side is relatively easy and there's lots of workflows like we have in Domino that make translation for courses super easy and things like that. But um, yeah, now we have to just start thinking more and being more purposeful in the design aspect before we even get to that tech side of it in order to uh in order to make this uh the localization and translation yeah. really count yeah, yeah. I, I i will say even though i i i have directly bashed the technology the technology is a fabulous labor saver and uh and it will help make some things work for you particularly if you're working with platforms that support localization um then it's just sort of a fine tooth uh, quality assurance comb 
that you run over it to ensure that you know instructions and prompts and everything like that are are suitable and that they and that they work for the right for the right language. And maybe AI is going to help get us there, but until that time, uh, this it's a design problem and it's a people problem. Yeah, Buddy's got a great question too. Sorry, Chris, were you, were you gonna point something out there? Well, let's do Buddy's question. And then there is a question in the question panel officially too that I did want to just circle back to before oh, we forget, oh. just so we're not overlooking that. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Buddy's asking uh, what's, what happens if you are in a situation without reason to develop content for other languages and then your company is acquired by an international organization and you have to go back to courses that didn't start with that goal in mind mm -hmm. there's a good uh, one it's that's and and that does definitely that does definitely happen and yeah. uh if if i were in that situation buddy uh, my instincts would tell me to be looking at the materials and offerings that have that are going to have the most impact uh, and the ones that are most recent and actively used and focus your efforts on those. Um, anytime you're in a position to go and reevaluate your library of content for currency and frequency and, uh, and applicability, it's a great time to do it. Uh, unfortunately, you are probably looking at no small amount of work. Um, which is where you know freelancers and contractors like me come into <laughs> come into play. Sorry, shameless business plug. That's um, perfect. But but it's you know you, you want to tackle the right you want to tackle the right things at the at the right time, and it, it actually would demonstrate a great response to your audience that that you're now part of this new organization. We're listening to um, you know to the broader population of our learners. And ensuring that yeah, whatever language you're speaking, we want to be able to reach you with our learning. Yeah, content audit is always a good thing. Yeah. Chris, go. Let's go to the question box. Yeah. So, so Laurie in the question panel um, was asking, you know, how different is French from French Canadian? And 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 Laurie, it's it's not unlike um, how you know, say Spanish has evolved in different locales over time. Um, you know, you know, Quebec, Montreal was first settled in six in the 1600s like 400 years ago um so the french language has had a, a a lot of evolution you know over here on this continent versus uh um you know european continental french for sure so there are you know idioms and dialects or, and, and uh you know phrases turns of phrase etc that are that are different and not unlike um how someone you know in the us would be reading something and going oh that's a that's a, a british you know phrase or, or what have you um, the same would apply. So yeah, and significant and enough that it needs to be considered for sure. Like like pants. Yes. <laughs> and we're all grateful that Brent is wearing them today. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah. I wanted to just uh, to pop in because as a coincidence, um, I received a, a book uh, at Christmas called Babel, um, sort of a sci-fi steampunky. Thing. I'm throwing a link into it there because it, um, it's uh, it's all very much anchored in the you know the power of, of languages and translations and uh, oh. colonial structures and stuff. Um, I'm loving it, so I'm throwing it in there to the chat if uh, if anybody's uh, interested. A link to oh, find it there. So very cool. As I say, it's kind of a steam sort of a steampunk historical thing going on. Um, and oh, Brent, play us out with the music. So I will mention as well as always. 
structural designers know that the thinking copy is not correct all by Domino. Toss in a link uh, into the chat too, if it's of interest and to help um, check out what we can do with you for you with uh, with our built-in translation workflows, help make some projects go easier for you, and uh, check out the chat mm -hmm. for that in a heartbeat here. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. This is a, a really cool conversation, and and we've never even delved in this direction yet so far in Idiotic after you know roughly yeah. five years. So very cool. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Good Toss chef, Mark. Toss your contact info into the chat for us, Martin, one more time. Make sure people know where to find you. Done Indeed. And, done. and everybody, don't forget to join our LinkedIn group. And uh, you can hang out there and ask questions afterwards and all that fun stuff. Here comes a link at you right now. Lots of links to be going after. And if you're listening to the audio podcast version of this, check out the blog post on domino.com for all of those links. And for all of our archives, go to idiotic.com, I-D-I-O-D-C.com. Thanks again, Mark. You're awesome. Love chatting with you. Thanks, folks.